0: Hi everyone, and welcome to the Illustration Department podcast. My name is Giuseppe Castellano. In this podcast, I talk to folks in illustration, graphic design, publishing, animation, and other creative fields about their beginnings, their successes, and the bumps and bruises they've experienced along the way. In this episode, my guest is Greg Foley, illustrator, writer, designer, and all-around creator. Imagine you are the art and design lead of a prestigious fashion magazine. Gap and Levi's are offering you life-changing salaries, but like Greg, you instead turn your attention to children's books. Among other topics, Greg explains how studying fashion design at RISD led him down many varied creative paths. We discuss how his picture book Thank You Bear inadvertently but perfectly describes the picture book submission process, and Greg and I talk about the importance of simplicity in our lives and our work. I hope you enjoy our conversation. I like having you on because you are such a polymath. You've done so many different things, including picture books. So it's not just picture books that we're going to talk about. What I get when I talk to illustrators is like, "Can you do more than one thing? Can you be a picture book maker and something else and something else?" Which Mm -hmm. is obviously the answer is yes. Um, You have a great voice for this, by the way. Oh jeez, I sound. I'm really. I feel like I sound nasally because I have a cold, which is why I'm drinking this right here. Yeah. Um, But thanks. So do you. All right, man. So I'm going to start with a really important question. How good are you at making uh, fake IDs? <laughs>
1: Where did you hear about that?
0: <laughs> I have my ways, sir. That's hilarious. Uh,
1: I was, in high school, exceptional at it. And the <laughs> technology was quite a bit more primitive. <laughs> uh, it literally was like...
0: Exacto knives?
1: Yeah, exacto knives. And everything was a photograph just a photograph no you know photograph and lamination and so all the exposures of the numbers uh were different and i was fortunate enough to have a shady friend who needed a fake id and worked at the dps and he would mow the lawn for the dps the gargantuan lawn and he like swiped a stack of IDs off of somebody's counter that he saw, but it gave me enough different exposures of photograph that I could pretty much match any number <laughs> to one of the kids who like came to me for 20 bucks a pop asking wow. for like, can you make one for my boyfriend now? And it's like, okay, I'll give it a try. I don't know if I have the right numbers.
0: <laughs> was that your, uh, was that your like first foray into uh design?
1: Uh, huh. Among them, I mean, no, I, I, I think I started drawing before I can remember, and my Mm -hmm. earliest memories of drawing were laborious. Like uh, I must have been four, the the memories of of struggling with drawing details. I was Mm -hmm. like in the driveway in Mountain View, California. We were there for about a year and a half, uh, two years in my youth, and. I was trying so hard to get the details of like Batman's costume, like how many points were on his glove, you know, and then I couldn't get the left and the right arms to look the same. And it just drove me bananas.
0: Well, that's funny to hear because, you know, we'll talk about this later, but your picture book illustration style is not, well, it might be laborious in that you are trying to make it simple, but it is on, from a viewer standpoint, from my standpoint, it looks incredibly simple.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. um, yeah, I don't think I, I mean, uh, personally, I don't think I have a style up, I don't, there isn't a style that I like have or adopted for design for anything. It's kind of like, I, f- I feel like it's per the project, what serves, what serves the project best. Yep. You do what you and, do. And, and, and with experimentation of like, Oh, I want to try this out. I want to try that out next time or whatever. And then also, um, new tools obviously sure. come along.
0: Yeah. Oh yeah. We'll talk about that more about that later. Um, where did you go
1: to high school? How I went this? to high school in Austin, Texas. Okay. I was primarily raised in Austin, Texas. Um, and not where you were born though. Well, actually my freshman year of high school, which was formative, was in Reading, England. I finished uh, junior high and my dad was like you're coming with me to England, I'm doing an exchange professorship over there with another professor who's coming here to UT. My dad was a professor at UT, my mother was like a a counselor and a professor at um, uh, Austin Community College, and he was like, you're coming with me, and I'm like, no I'm not. That's my freshman year of high school, it's so important. But it ended up completely reshaping my life because England as a culture, and for teenagers particularly, is so red hot, it's so different, Mm -hmm. it's a crucible of all of those things that teenagers go through mm-hmm. and being an American. And I was like the only American in this entire, you know, school experience. Um, I was like, you know, singled out and, you know, made me cool. It made me unique, but not fit in. So right.
0: Yeah. when did RISD make a, like, how did, how did you think about going to RISD or why did you think about going to RISD?
1: Well, so like this, that's a funny thing when you're a creative and you've actually like when you become a creative and you look back and you think, how did I get here? Cause I have oh, yeah. friends who are creatives that I never thought would be in school. They were like, it's unlikely that they, would you know, I was always the quote unquote, I don't know, artist. So in junior high, the art teacher singled me out and took me under his wing. And, mm. and I didn't think anything of it at the time, not a thing, mm. nothing of yeah. it. Um, in Latin class, I won an award for making a sculpture of a gladiator you know, I distinguished myself from making things because I couldn't help but make things. I was just a compulsive tinkerer, but Mm. I didn't think anything of it. And then when I got back from England, actually, the English art teacher also singled me out and much to my chagrin, because, you know, there were some bullies and things in England who like didn't like the fact that I was getting attention, you know. Um, And then I got back to high school and I didn't think of it and I was struggling like what am I going to do for applying to colleges I was freaking out and then I had an art teacher who said are you kidding you have to apply to art school and I'm like what is that (laughs) and he was like well yeah you make art like and you could be a you could study design and and he entered me into all of these competitions me and two others of my Mm. classmates who could actually draw uh realistically Right. Let's say you yeah. know we could render well, and he entered us in all these competitions in Texas, and we just would sweep the awards because he would groom us. He was like, "Do a drawing like this, this size. Try this medium. Try this medium." Oh yeah, you know he would art direct it, mm-hmm. and and we would um, win these awards. And then he sent me off to this. Um, used to be a really big deal here, uh, the National Arts, uh, A R T S. You know, Arts, and they would send you to Miami, and all the high schools all around the country would send you know their They're award winners. And and then you uh, do this national competition and the top two people get to go to the White House and stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I entered that and I won a top level prize. And it was like, okay, well, yeah, you know, I should apply to art school. My parents were like, yeah, go for it. And so then I asked naively, well, what's a good art school? And there was one kid who was like a total burnout uh, we called them the window people. They were like the kids who hung out by this one big window and all dropped ass. <laughs> <laughs> so, and and this one kid was going to RISD, and mm. it was like, well, what's RISD? Oh, it's a really big deal. It's a really big deal, man. This guy's going there, and blah blah blah. Right. And so I applied early, you know, early admission, and that's the only place I applied. I applied mm. early admission to RISD and got in, and then was just like, of my friends, I was like, I'm done, one and done. Like wow. that's where I'm going. I hadn't visited, I didn't really know much of anything about it. I just knew it was a really good school, and my mm-hmm. parents said, okay.
0: Uh, that's that's familiar to me, man. I had a very similar experience. My my high school art teacher singled out, you know, the 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 t- quote top uh, students in the in the any given class, and uh, it was me and two other. Three other guys: Victor, Brandon, and Ryan. And um, their last names are Sands, Jones, and Hogue. And uh, <laughs> like wow, I, I can't believe I can't believe I just thought of that. I just remember that. Anyway, um, yeah, he you know, he, and he groomed us. He was like, "You're, you're, it's of course you're going to art school. That it is inevitable that you guys are going to art school." Yeah. And so you know, one friend got into Yale for painting. Another friend got in, went into Pratt. One Micah and me, Rizdy, and the and I was very proud of that. And I, too, didn't apply anywhere else. I just yeah. I, He just said yeah. RISD. And I was like, I, I guess. I mean, I like Rhode Island, and that's pretty. And sure. And I didn't want to go to MICA because I'm from Baltimore. I, I wanted to leave my bubble. And I just applied and got in. And I was like, yep, done. And I told my art teacher. I'm like, hey, uh, his name is Janishefsky, Mr. Janishefsky. I said, like, you know, I got into RISD. And he said, did you get any scholarship money? And I said, no. And the disappointment in his face, I mean, like, it just... I still remember exactly how he, he just like, yeah. he was standing upright. And then when I told him I didn't slumped. get a scholarship, he just slumped.
1: That's a shame. And yeah, yeah so I don't know. we were considering changing my last name back to my mother's maiden name in order to get more, um, you know, more financial aid. And uh, cause you know, uh, my it's Navarro and I'm Foley now, which is Irish and it doesn't sound like anything, but it was like, <laughs> we had to go out of our way to apply for anything that was like, you know, ethnically oriented gotcha. to say like, just, just a little bit more. Give us, you know.
0: Like, oh, well, where's your mother from? The Philippines. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, so, I, you know, doing a little bit of research on you, learning that you went to RISD. And I, I, I assumed as I was reading and learning about you that it was design that you had studied or even maybe illustration or painting or something. But I was very surprised to learn that you got a degree in fashion design. Yeah. And I, I guess maybe not. Maybe I shouldn't have been surprised knowing that you then went off to, you know. Be the creative director or the art director for Visionaire and 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 stuff. But what led you to fit fashion design?
1: Yeah, that well, that's it's kind of like just a series of these revelations in my creative journey. It's like, oh, you can go to art school. Oh, uh, then I get to RISD, and they're like, pick a major, and I'm like, what's a major? <laughs> and and with everything in, and I'm sure this is just familiar to everybody who has this like, you know, fork in the road, they're like, do I do this? Or do I need to commit to this? And it's like, I looked at all of the majors and thought about myself being in these different departments. And what does it mean? And, and, and very pragmatically at this, you know, teenage, I was like, well, if I was going to be an industrial designer, which I would have loved to have been, I was like, I would go to engineering school. Give me a break like it's really more about that and the aesthetics they come naturally like but I'm not an engineer and so I don't want to I don't want to invite that kind of pressure Mm -hmm. Uh, same for architecture it was like architecture five five year degree it's really grueling man um, all this stuff and Mm -hmm. I was like yeah no I don't think so photography too narrow illustration i already did it i felt like i already was an illustrator so i didn't really think about that And graphic design was really interesting to me but at the time i'm telling you this is at the very 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 inception of adobe and so they had a computer lab that was like you know it was apple um uh what was the first mac the cla- the mac like the little box called yeah. Yeah, that I said hello it's like mm-hmm. it was like a, a a row of those and a couple of slightly bigger screens. It just really wasn't anything mm-hmm. compared to today. And I looked at that and I was like, "But all they're doing is making typefaces, posters, and um, book jackets." And I was like,
0: yep.
1: "It wasn't really, but it wasn't really like an it wasn't a really really like a marketing program or anything really juicy like that. Mm-hmm. It it really looked like a very bookish kind of department. And for me, I was the type of kid like. Yeah, I made fake IDs and my friends and I like boosted things like so the fashion magazines from England, like the face and ID and the cool magazines we wanted to read but couldn't afford. We would just like swipe them and trade them with each other. Mm -hmm. And these were like pop culture magazines, but they were fashion magazines. Mm -hmm. And um, and I realized I really did have an interest in that kind of popular culture. And the kind of culture that I realized this can touch everything. Like this can be identity design. Uh, You do a collection. You have like image making. You do photography. Uh, I wanted to make shoes. And I was like, I could design my own shoes and figure out how to get those made. Like Mm -hmm. all the stuff. And Mm -hmm. I just sort of jumped into it. Plus, you know, it's always the road less traveled for me.
0: You get an internship. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about, well, how did Visionaire come into play here? In
1: fashion anyway, I mean, in everything really, if, if an internship is a viable option, you gotta do it. You gotta do it. You gotta start like get your foot in the door. And I had a, a friend who was two years above me who had interned at this magazine details, which was like the, it was like so cutting edge in, in Manhattan. And I applied and I interned with this guy who was, again, did everything. He was a fashion editor for the magazine, but he took the pictures, chose the clothes, did the styling, like, Mm -hmm. and so when I got there, he saw my skill set and just started asking me to do things that, you know, you couldn't do that. Like I was cutting out with an exacto knife out of a photographic print, a figure, and then we would float it on a pin above another photograph of space. And then it would look like, you know, we had basically comped a person like with right. a space background. Um, and, and, and it was the like easiest, analog, fastest Analog Photoshop. Yeah. All that kind of cool stuff. And so he was so impressed with what I enabled him to do that, you know, I left and I went back and we had become friends and his boyfriend, the other co-founders of Visioneer, one was a model, one was a makeup artist, and, and and that was Steven who was really, it was his brainchild, And Details got bought by Condé Nast and changed into a men's magazine. They fired everybody but one columnist, Stephen Sabin, and they said, um, uh, and he goes, uh, I have $9,000 saved up. I'm going to do my own magazine, and I'm going to invite some contributors, really high-level people that he had met at the time, um, who became only bigger. Bruce Weber, Stephen Mizell, incredible people were in the first issue. And he was like, and you're going to help. And I was still at RISD. So I, I contributed from RISD, and the minute I graduated, like, this was not with a plan or business or anything. Like we would just gather around their uh, dining table once a, I don't know, weekend and mm-hmm. put the thing together. And then they got written up in the Times. I mean, he already, he was a real networker. He had a lot of connections in press and got written up in the Times. It was $10 a piece for the magazine. They brought it over to the fashion shows um, in Paris and sold them all out, a mm-hmm. thousand copies. And then it was like, okay, let's do another one. And then we would just gather once every, you know, mm-hmm month or whatever and have breakfast and talk about ideas and and then I brought all of my artist friends who were graduating from RISD who really knew the art gallery realm Mm -hmm. and I wasn't a fine artist like this is post RISD now like I was living temp job to temp job Mm -hmm. in Manhattan like just doing everything from designing socks to t-shirts to where were you living uh, I was living on my sister's couch she was a she was in business uh school at Columbia and we had um grad housing and i just lived on our couch for nothing you know
0: nice nice and yeah. uh
1: you know and so visioneer just sort of snowballed it just was every issue was exceptionally better than the last and better and better contributors and right. um it was free format like the whole the whole paradigm was we're allowing the contributors literally total creative freedom we're not telling them what they can or cannot contribute hmm um, and there's no ads, so nobody can tell us right. we can't publish it.
0: Was it always ten dollars, or did the price go up? Oh no, it went up and up and up. It just like, into the went hundreds up. of dollars. I read.
1: Yeah, and hundreds and then thousands, and you know, uh, it's very rare. It's kind of it's kind of really wound down um, as the companies split apart. We started another magazine, V Magazine, mm-hmm. um, years later, um, and things really ramped up and at a certain point we were being asked to design a hotel and we were being asked to do product lines and all this stuff that was super exciting to me off often it didn't happen but i did for for you know a decade or so get to work with all of the biggest luxury brands and i saw the birth of the luxury fashion industry there was not one it was all this was all like department store licensed stuff if you were going to buy designer it was like you know, Perry Ellis or mm-hmm. Pierre Cardin or stuff from Europe in a department store or something, and then everything kind of happened. Like we did a project with Louis Vuitton, and then they and then they hired Marc Jacobs to create a fashion line, and he brought in the issue we had done that was mm-hmm. wrapped in a Louis Vuitton envelope, and he was like, "It should be more like this." You know, <laughs> this is
0: the culture but and you were leading, I mean, you went from like intern to basically leading the art and design direction.
1: Well, because they couldn't, the, 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 the guys who started visionaire, well, you know, Steven was an okay designer. He was an okay photographer. He, he stepped back and stopped being a photographer and became a, you know, editor in chief and creative director, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And under his kind of, under the pressure of him, uh, like i would say that he was my mentor only it was unlikely because he didn't really mentor me he competed with me mm. um he often took credit for what i did uh, mm-hmm. but at the same time kind of i watched what was happening and tried to make sure i could get credit where i deserved it for what right. i did I, yeah. but i just kept showing up like i kept bringing more and more to the table like i turned their attention to the fine art world and brought fine artists that they didn't have in, they had a couple, but I was like, you know, I have friends who have connections and we got like Jeff Koons in something like before Mm -hmm. Jeff Koons completely exploded.
0: Yeah. You know, Uh, but you also work with Bowie and Yoko Ono.
1: Well, yeah, those are people that they were able to connect with culturally, but like it was, it's like, it was such a dream to be able to interact with. So, you know,
0: when did brands like gap and Levi's approach you to be their design lead?
1: Visionaire did projects with all of the iconic brands. Right. And then at a certain point I started getting asked by brands to maybe come in-house with them. But that was again another decision that I consciously made. Like everybody would tell me, You have a dream job at Visionaire. It's like you can work with all of these brands without working for them. And and I asked how much how much did it pay? And like I'd have to move my life Somewhere and it and it was just like I don't know it just wasn't worth it because at the same time around 2001 uh, I got the advice from a friend he saw everything that I was doing and 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 back when I graduated Rizzy I started conceiving of characters mm-hmm. I called them Uko uh, these character designs that I put on T-shirts really it was like rave T-shirt line skater mm-hmm. T-shirt line that I did in 1991 uh, 92 and. And I sold it some really good stores at the time, like some of the best stores in Manhattan. I sold at Barney's and and Charivari and um Patfield. And f- for me it was like I didn't want to run a business, so I just like let these projects go to sleep. Like after <laughs> I had approved it and done, and got some press. I had multiple jewelry lines and things that I had done. Yeah. And and so I started designing characters. And this friend sort of in Hollywood, he's an agent, he said to me, I said, What's the most valuable thing that I can do? And he was like, characters characters are really valuable like if you can if you can design a successful character you should stick with that you know Mm -hmm. and so at a certain point I started trying to write a story but without any education Mm -hmm. but I sent it out on submission to to some editors and got these like really scathing rejections just like (laughs) this is terrible this is this looks like the segue to a tv show this is like I uh, this is not a story I suggest you go and learn how to write a story. And I was crushed. Wow. And so another friend of mine who at that point ha- had started developing shows at Nickelodeon, mm-hmm. um, which I was like, God, I really want to, we, I got to want to work with you. Can I you know, like, can't you do something with my, and he's like, it doesn't work like that, man. Yeah. Like I can't just, no, bring a, yep. a thing in, mm-hmm. um, he said, why don't you take a class for writing for mm-hmm. kids? And I was like, wow, that's, that's yeah. And I taught at Parsons. By, by now I was teaching one class at Parsons. And the deal was, if you're an adjunct faculty and taught a class, you're allowed to take a class for free. So I signed up for a night class for children's writing mm-hmm. for picture books, specifically mm-hmm. picture book writing workshop. And it was my good fortune that this woman, Nancy Kelton, who I still like, you know, of, of those teachers along the way, right who changed your life, Diane Harris in in, uh, uh, junior high, Um, Mr. Rodriguez in high school, Uh, Nate Haley at RISD. This woman, Nancy Kelton, sort of uh, was not supposed to teach that class. She was a write-from-personal-experience essayist Mm -hmm. teacher, Mm -hmm. and the uh, children's book teacher bowed out last minute, and she took the class over because she did have experience with it, running a workshop, a personal home workshop that she ran, and she just approached it like a job. She was like, this is the job of a writer. You you are making a chair that stands up. If it doesn't work, like if it doesn't work to even hold the weight of a body, then it's not a chair. You know, she was like, if you're writing an essay, it has rules. If you're writing a picture book, it has rules. Mm-hmm. And she laid out all the basic rules and brought in these ex- excellent examples of picture books and she brought in the carrot seed by crockett johnson and i was like i, I laughed out loud first of all mm-hmm. at the book and i thought that is so efficient she's like do you know how many words are in that book count them she's like that's how efficient it can be and i was like i'm gonna do that and if you read thank you bear side by side with the carrot seed you'll see how i modeled it directly mm-hmm. after the carrot seed
0: was, and was thought, thank you bear the first book you wrote in that class
1: thank you. Uh, no, I wrote a couple. It, it was. It was almost literally the first picture book I wrote. But I had written a couple of other um, exercises right. that were okay. Yeah. Uh, one about a black dog following a boy and one about a little white toy car. And, but that was the first one. Like I was visiting my sister in Bermuda. She had moved to Bermuda and I was there for like a, a weekend and I had that due. When I got back and I got up early one morning and sat down and literally just wrote it in one go after thinking about it for a a couple of weeks. At a editorial meeting at V Magazine, I was I would often be at the outside circle of the meeting Mm -hmm. because I didn't want to be stuck if it went really long. I, I, I was always moving around and I wasn't looking at what everyone was looking at, but I could just hear these hysterical reactions about a photo that they were passing around the conference table everybody had this really different reaction and they were all really pithy and funny and some bitchy and mean and right. and 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 i just thought to myself that's amazing i can't see what they're looking at but everybody's giving these really astute comments what if you couldn't see what the characters were looking at but everybody Mm -hmm. gave a different whatever and i thought that's that's the model so originally thank you bear was going to be a little boy with a paper bag Mm -hmm. and and he was bringing it around but just in the moment that i wrote it i realized well paper bag doesn't work it's flimsy and what would really be in a paper bag and you can't use a paper bag for anything so i changed it to box and then it just came out as animals like as i sat down to write it i was like okay i'll start with a bear okay then his friend is a mouse and then there's another animal another animal and appropriate responses for different animals and that just sort of fell together. And, and I wrote like 10 or 15 manuscripts in the next uh, couple of years. I asked my friend if he knew of a children's book agent and they didn't have a children's book agent at at the time he was at William Morris, Mm -hmm. which was bought by Endeavor. But he did put me in touch with somebody and, you know, um, you know, an introduction is everything. And so that agent was like, this is funny. This is good. Like, I'm not a children's agent. She represented Tim Burton, for Christ's sake, like for his (laughs) book deals. But she was like, I'll send it out. So she sent it out to a bunch of people because she knew, you know, editors. Yeah. And two offers came back, one from Henry Holt and one from Viking. And I met with each editor. I felt that Viking was less apt to change what I envisioned. Oh, yeah. And so I went with them.
0: You know, if you read it and look at it from the perspective of someone who wants to get into publishing, mm-hmm. it is maybe like the perfect children's book that inadvertently explains everything you need to know about the publishing process. <laughs> Let me explain. <laughs> so, you know, Bear has a box, the main character, has, you know, he has a box and he's excited about it. Okay. A writer and illustrator has a work that they've created and they're excited about it. And they think that, you know, this, this, I think, I think, so and so is gonna like this book. In this in the book, Mouse, he's like, Oh, I think Mouse is gonna love this. So then on his way to Mouse, he's showing this box to, you know, an owl a fox and, and that. And they all ran on his parade. They're like, ah, eh, I've seen that before. Ah, eh, you're holding it the wrong way. They all criticize it. They all It'd be better if it's bigger. Yeah. Reject it. Exactly. Then he be, Bear begins to believe or begins to doubt his own opinion of this thing. Which is what writers and illustrators do all the dang time, especially when they get rejected. Until Mal sees it and says it's it's absolutely perfect and I love it. The intended it was, receiver finally exactly. it connects.
1: An, I mean, in and, in in the sense of friendship, that's really defining for friendship. But you're right, and you're not the first person. Like I was a, I was so delighted. Like years later, somebody wrote a blog post saying these are the seven people that you'll meet every entrepreneur meets in the yeah. process of, and, and so it's true. It was like, I didn't, I didn't, I, I don't remember consciously thinking like, this is great. This is a, you know, uh, an, an analog to the creative process and whatever. It just, it was just true of human nature, you know, yeah. it was yeah. dry and, and whatever, but, um,
0: and it won the Charlotte Zolito
1: award. And, yeah. And so I had this stellar beginning to my, to my <laughs> career that I won the best writing for a picture book, Award for my first picture book and you know when I went to Wisconsin and received it I cried like I was like Oh my god, I can't even believe this like I was making the fake follow-up.
0: fake IDs just a couple years ago and here I am receiving this award. <laughs> <Sorry>.
1: <laughs> the follow-up to thank you bear was a, a lesson because I never intended it to be a series and they're like well, well let's do another one and I'm like whoa and so and that won the Zoloto honor like the the next year it was like it, it was really great beginning and it kills me that like Viking has essentially taken those things out of print. Like they make the board book of thank you bear, but
0: I'm surprised to hear that actually. Is it, is it legit out of print at this point
1: to my knowledge? They're not printing more hardcover copies because everything and everything is Amazon now. Like they're certainly not uh, trying to distribute it to like, um, you know, independent booksellers. Mm -hmm. So they're probably their primary mode is, Amazon that they're selling to and they're, and they're piping the board book in there.
0: Um, you know, our paths crossed when I first started working at Penguin, one of the very first things, if not maybe the first day, first thing that I was asked to do was to give my opinion on a cover that uh, it was for a book called Treasure Chest. And I guess my predecessor, the art director before me, the designer, I don't know. It just missed everyone's attention that the main two characters on the cover looked exactly like uh, Harry Potter and Hermione Granger uh. from the movies. And um, so we had a, you know, capital VSM, very serious meeting uh, just about this cover. And, and the publisher asked me, like, well, what do you think we should do? And that was like maybe day one, hour one, wow, task one. The, it, my memory tells me that the second thing that I did was work with you. Had I known that you were this award-winning, Grammy-nominated designer who worked with like Tom Ford and did all these amazing things, and I would—I think I would have thrown up from the stress if I'm being honest with you. I mean, <laughs> I, maybe that's hyperbolic, but I just didn't know who you were, and I should have. I really should have. I mean, it, it just – you know, Sarah Fabini, the editor, just came to my office and said we're, we're doing these, these like, smaller – they weren't the board books, but they were these smaller sort of, like, uh, they would live – Little letters. Little yeah, they letters. Them little letters. Yeah. It was we, sweet. Yeah. Yeah, they would live on, like, counter displays at, at, at the checkout and stuff, and I was I was tasked to design, like, the, do the little design for it and using some of the art from the picture books into these books. And I just um, – I don't know. I have a really – tiny vague memory of 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 you not of you being disappointed by that am i making that up <laughs> i remember i re-
1: so sarah wasn't my editor my editor was tracy gates who like i think is now a president or something over yeah. there but sarah was uh this um it was another imprint orchard or something else that was making those little letter concept things gross and, and dunlap and she was like so do you- yeah Grossett and dunlap yep and she was like uh greg do you want to talk with um sarah and make these little letters i think it would be really cute and and it wouldn't compete with the book i'm like absolutely and so i met with sarah and she brought me in to you and i forget what you showed me but what struck me what i remember is when i tried to ratchet down because you were really earnest you were really you seemed to be very serious about your job and really like you know it was awesome it was really flattering you were treating the thing so importantly and um And all I wanted was to keep it the same, like just make it look like the book and you can add in the extra things. It was awesome. You had put a a sticker sheet that they could seal the thing with and there was a place, a flap that wrapped around and you could seal it up and put it in the mail and send it It to somebody. Self-contained envelope book. Yeah, it was an awesome little concept. Mm -hmm. And um, I just remember saying something more or less like, just keep it simple. Like I, I just don't want it to deviate from yeah. what is actually here. And I, f- I, I think I remember you being kind of deflated and being like, God, really? <laughs> oh.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, wow. um, I, I was, I was pretty proud of that. It was a cute, it was a such a cute little It was little really thing. nice. It yeah. had
1: the, it had the French, um, little, yeah. uh, uh, striped edges.
0: Exactly. The airmail.
1: Design. I still have them. I still have like a stack of of, uh, you know, just a, a few of them and I give them out very sparingly to somebody who I, you know, as like, as my friends have their babies and things, I'll, I'll, like meet one <laughs> out occasionally. Like here's this, here's this special thing from long ago
0: that leads to simplicity. I wanted to talk to you about simplicity. Cause it, it came up quite a bit when I was doing research on you, the word simple or simplicity. There's this German illustrator who I recently learned about her name is Judah Bauer And uh, she won the Hans Christian Andersen Award in 2010. She said that illustrators and writers need to, quote, keep a little bit of the child inside them. And she also said that they need to be simple and authentic. So there's a couple directions I want to take this. So in an interview that I read, you were quoted as saying, we were all children. And I couldn't find the original quote though. I couldn't find where you had said that, but she had quoted you as saying it from someplace else. Mm-hmm. So there's two things here, keeping a little bit of the child inside you and keeping it simple. So let's start with simple. What does that mean to keep things simple? Because like when I think of, I you know I talk to illustrators a lot and we talk about simplicity and I, I just want to make sure that everyone's clear on what that means. Cause like, Basquiat I'm sure kept things simple but his mm-hmm. work isn't simple it's highly complex and very layered but he kept it yeah. simple he kept it all. Well, I
1: mean here here another another way of saying that which in 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 teaching for 20 years um there's two ways of looking at that simple okay like there's so many so many good sayings around this idea like perfect is the enemy of good yeah right, right. the mm-hmm. AA one keep it simple stupid kiss um and the methodology of late of like iterating uh, uh, design, like in a startup world where things technologically are moving so fast, they say the shortest distance between idea and execution is what you should aim for, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. not getting wrapped up in thinking about and whatever, just like iterate, iterate, iterate. You you do the thing beta and you fix it and do again and you do again and you do again. Um, Once you have, you know, 10,000 hours of experience in doing a particular thing, Mm -hmm. you kind of approach mastery, right? And mastery to me is you can do the thing in one stroke. Solutions, ideas, things come to you, you know, mentally, Mm -hmm. conceptually. You can almost, it's complete. It's almost complete. It's like, it's efficient and effortless, the thing. That's the kind of simplicity that, like, I aspire to, like that you have studied a thing and practiced the thing and done a thing so much that it just comes out naturally. Now, I see that in so many people's work, like this incredible mastery. And that's the kind of thing you look at a Basquiat and you're like that guy, his early work, he's like trying to do this simple childish thing, but he became very adept and very comfortable mm-hmm. in the marks and the methods that he was using, mm-hmm. and then was just riffing. Like yep. same with Cy Twombly, same with any great artist, right? Yep. Um, they and the same with songs. Like I also like have dabbled in song making and writing and stuff, and it's kind of like this. The advice that producers say is like, don't worry about the performance now after like doing this a hundred times, like you got to take it out and play it and and do it. The song becomes itself after you've performed the thing over and over again and you find the appropriate expression mm-hmm. for it or find mm-hmm. multiple ways of expressing it. Yeah. And then the same with manuscript writing. And so with drawing a picture, I wish that I had gotten there yet, but I really don't feel I have because I've also switched modes. It's like, Thank You, Bear had a particular way of making marks that I was doing. And Mm -hmm. yeah, I did five, you know, Bear books, but it's not like Charles Schultz where he refined his form over decades and decades. And it just became like this iconic way of making marks of characters. Mm -hmm. Um, I aspired to that with Thank You, Bear. I was like trying to emulate Schultz, you know, Mm -hmm. in these pen strokes and then. Willoughby and the Lion was about collaging and making black and white halftone collages and things. And Mm -hmm. I got good at that and I was going to get better, but that stopped with two books. You know, I was dying to do a third, but Mm -hmm. it didn't go any further. And then I started doing a different style for Purple Little Bird and a different style for the cat books. And, you know, each time I like I'm trying out a different style, but I never it never gets to go far enough. You know, (laughs) thankfully, my next thing um, I will have a chance to like and again, I'm starting from scratch. And just trying to like find the marks that I want to use and the language and, and I'll find it, you know?
0: Yeah. I mean, that's what it means to me. It's like keeping it simple is, is I think people tend to, um, consciously or, or, or unconsciously overcomplicate the whole process, the whole publishing thing, you know, well, you know, I need to learn this new method. I need to, you know, know what everything that Photoshop has to offer. I mean, they just, and and when it comes to like being rejected, they come up with all of these scenarios and the simplest, most of the time, the simplest thing is like the reason they didn't pick up your books just because it just didn't connect with them. Period. That's it. It's like that simple. It, yeah.
1: It has to, it has to start with, and this, this gets back to the thing about like, we're all children. It literally is that we are all children mm-hmm. and that's not in a biblical sense. We're all children of God. We we are here such a short period of time. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's such a shame that society tricks us into thinking that we're getting <laughs> mature or <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly mm-hmm. all of these things. Like our heroes are capable of leading us towards that greater being, like mm-hmm. a higher purpose, and all that stuff. Like the right. great speeches and the people that we look up to, they also have their I mean, give me a break. They also have their failings, which to to me are moments, again, of of being childlike, of being subject to your humanity. Like, you know, m- my kids, I watch them and I get so frustrated and I just laugh at myself and I'm like, oh, how is she behaving? She's behaving like a four-year-old because yep. she's four, yep. you know? Oh, and yeah. it's like, so... Um, if, if creatively the thing is that I tap for stories and purpose in stories mm-hmm. and the the seed of emotion that every interaction in a story needs, it's really like an emotional center point. You really do have to go back to your childhood, to mm-hmm. the or the first times you feel things. And when you capture that emotional, that gestalt, then you, you can start to put words on it or like this thing makes this thing happen between two characters you know mm-hmm. and all of that and it's like yeah the simpler you keep it the more potent that thing is going to be sure. you're you don't, you don't have to be a master like I, I thought to myself I'm god I'd be unlikely that I would ever write like an adult <laughs> novel although I have ideas I'd like to put down I always bring it back to the simpler mode and I've worked my way up like I've done 11 picture books But there's diminishing returns in my career doing that. And so the next thing I'm doing is a middle grade graphic novel. Mm -hmm. And I didn't think I was capable of doing, you know, a hundred plus or 200 page panelized work because it's so long, Mm -hmm. you know, but I warmed up to it. Like I, I, I tested it out. I did the ideas. I, whatever I, and I, and I pitched and I, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm going to be doing something, you know, uh, come out in 2024 Mm -hmm. so it's a long way away but I have the time to try and take that next step up and I thought about like oh well what if I do like a fly guy type of thing like you know it's like a picture book but a little longer and it's put in chapters but the advice that I got and this is horrible it's so um cynical the advice I got from my current agent was don't do that. Um, try this other thing instead. And they, sh- and, and, you know, at the time, this is a couple of years ago, they were showing me like the star Wars, um, Jedi Academy books. Sure. And, um, and then I discovered Dogman and then I discovered like all these other ones, you know, yeah. I was already a fan of wimpy kid. Like I, I launched thank you by the same time wimpy kid did. And I remember meeting him, you know, yeah. in, at some, some book event things sure. and like that thing is just masterful. That's a perfect example of simplicity. My God, yep. like the simplicity of drawings. And so there are no rules. And what they said to me was, "Look at it now. Like the the everything has changed. Like you can have a page that shows a uh, uh, drawing that the character's done. Then you can have a page showing the device they're looking at. Then you can have a map, and then you can have some prose. Like then you can have a diary entry and blah blah blah. And it was like there are no rules, Greg. So." Don't look at that other thing that you're thinking because there isn't money for us to make a deal for you like that. Look at this thing because we think you can do it and we think you can use your humor and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. So try that. Think about that. And I, and I came up with an idea and I pitched it to them verbally, just a concept. And they were like, that's great. Exactly like that. Like go and work on that. And when you have something, we'll talk about it. So I went away for a year and and read and read and read all those other series, and I read them to my daughter, who's she's really verbose, mm-hmm. and so she loves reading well above her age. Mm-hmm. And I became a huge fan of these other things, and then realized, oh, I could tell this story. I have a I have a character. The character just came out of me the first time I drew it. I just I was trying to draw myself. I was trying to do myself right. as a fourth grader, mm-hmm. and I was caricaturing myself and whatever. And then I drew this other thing instead, this animal. And so, again, I'm back to animals.
0: But <laughs> Well, they are easier to draw than people. Everyone knows it's that. It's the
1: next step up. Well, also it invites, like, the the, the reader can project themselves sure. onto the That's thing more true. easily. Yep. So his advice also was this, in terms of simplicity. He said, don't make it too detailed. Keep it like these other things that have been successful because the reader can project themselves mm-hmm. onto the character.
0: Yeah,
1: And so I was like... Okay, great. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's um, I mean, I guess it. I guess it's uh, defined differently by everyone. Everyone has their own thoughts on what simplicity means to them, and that's fine and good. Um, but I think when it comes down to trying to crack the code of you know getting published or or even just finding your own natural way of mark making, um, start simple. I mean, it's just like anything else. It's like food. It's like Uh, interior design. It's like, you know, gardening, it's all the same. It's just, you know, start simple, build from there. And
1: and I would say anything goes, there are no rules. And also like, look at dog, man, he's drawing like a child. It's hilarious and awesome. And he did it his own way. And he isn't the only one. Many people do primitive things. And the other is do some research, like go be inspired. Like I look at creativity, like a closet and like a closet in a cartoon. Mm-hmm. you you fill it you jam stuff in you put things in you just throw everything in the closet mm-hmm. like anything that looks remotely interesting look at it and put it in your closet and then when you go and sit down and reach in that like you open the door to try and have some ideas yep. it just will tumble out Absolutely. because you've jammed so much stuff in the closet that when you open the door it bursts out and then it's the challenge will be you have to become a little bit more of and this is what will make you, in time, an expert. Like you have to then judge the things that fall out and say, yeah. well, "This could go in this bucket, and this could go in this bucket, and this could be like this," and try and organize so that you're not just sure. offering a, right, a mess.
0: Yeah, definitely. I've uh, I've often said to illustrators, you know, we all talk about our inner critic, and I think, you know, why not just put your your inner critic as this you know lazy ass sitting on the couch taking up space in your brain? Why not give it a job? And turn its title to instead of inner critic to inner editor. So you do have all of these things that you're influenced by and you have all you know, you you make these marks and put color down and tell like get your inner critic a job and have have them help you edit down what it is that you're trying to create, whether that's with a manuscript or a picture book dummy or just a single, you know, central illustration of some kind and so on. So That's great. That's great. I love Uh, that. Like give it a different job. Give it a different job, yeah. Um. So, I wanted to touch on. I wanted to touch on authenticity for half a second because I know I want to make sure that I respect your time here. We're a little over, um, really briefly. So I, you know, authenticity is something else that comes up in conversation uh, with illustrators, and and, what does it mean to be authentic? And I, I just think. I hear this a lot, where you know an editor or an agent or somebody will post something online or or say something at a conference, like you know I want to see something that I've never seen before. I want to see something authentic, but, but they're coming from like their standpoint, like authentic to them or real to them or new to them. And that isn't, I I just don't think that's the right
1: thing seem contrary. Like, it's so funny. It's like, I want to see something authentic and in, in trend speak, authentic reeks of the past and of things we've already seen. And how can you judge authenticity unless you know it already? And yet I want to see something new. I want to it's like,
0: new. Yeah, what does well,
1: that mean? Uh, well, I, I think, I, I mean, ultimately, on two fronts, it's like I wrote the first book of what's supposed to be a fantasy trilogy because I had a good idea and I wanted to and I like world building and whatever. So I thought of all these details and I had a co-writer, like, so I didn't have to do all the load because, again, I was scared of doing it. Mm-hmm. So I was like, oh, I'll partner with somebody and they'll help me write all the mm-hmm. prose and blah, blah, oh, yeah. blah. Well, the way it came out after – you know, reworking it several times. And I, and I decided, okay, now is the time to share it. I showed it to a potential editor and they were like, it has no voice. And it's like, well, yeah, that's true. It has no voice for multiple reasons. It has no voice because I didn't just write it myself. Mm -hmm. I did it like with others and it was probably massaged and worked in a way that it was not, it was Mm -hmm. clearly not whatever Two. I am novice at the form, at mm-hmm. writing just purely prose. for, a, And this was a, a YA mm-hmm. age range, which was probably too big a leap for me to take from picture book to YA. So in the interim, and that was years ago, like I did another couple of picture books, I thought about stuff, and then I approached this new idea. Like I told you, I said, like, well, oh, I'll take the next baby step up. And they're like, no, 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 take this next bigger step. And I read a ton, a ton, a ton And I just did it myself. I sat down and I wrote a bunch of stuff, just random. You know, I collect things on a iPhone note sheet. Like I just, it just is a a growing list of words and phrases and whatever. And then when I sat down to collect them and put them into an order that might be, and and by the way, I still participate in a a writing uh, group. It's me and like eight other people who Mm -hmm. get together once a month and share. Things like I believe you have to do that. And as an illustrator, I'm sure there are illustration groups that you can do, you know, and all my writing group. They're so jealous that I make pictures, too, because none of them do. And they're like, oh, you know, you have it so much easier because you can do both. And it's like, well, maybe some of you can draw and you should try, you know, because it will be that much easier. But exactly. um, It came out and it was authentic by God. It's like when I pitched this new project, there were five big editors who all said, this is so authentic this you are it is a fourth grader it is and it's like well clearly it's not a fourth grader i'm like (laughs) i'm an adult and whatever but but like i i did it i did it myself and i Mm -hmm. i gave it time and i i've thought about it a lot and i and i tried so i was surprised frankly i really thought i was going to share my stuff with my uh agent Mm -hmm. and he would say close but you know do this and do this and instead he was kind of like this is great and Part of it was maybe I let down my guard and I, I didn't, you know, I didn't over edit myself.
0: Yeah, I find it. Um, I find it interesting that like the less you care about it, the better or the more it flows, like whatever creative endeavor, like the less you give a damn about it. You just write. Just illustrate. Don't worry. Well, the about other thing it. is, Let's I think where it takes you.
1: That's also another good reason for participating in like workshops and groups and critiques Mm -hmm. and things is like you'll see the problems in other people's work more quickly for exactly the reason you just said. Because it doesn't matter to you. It's not your work. exactly And that's the way you get the 10,000 hours in. It's like you'll see all the problems in other people's things and then you can turn that eye on yourself and say, "Uh uh-huh. You also need distance from your work. Mm -hmm. You should put things away for a week, two weeks, work on something else. And then come back to it with fresh eyes and immediately you'll see a problem. Mm -hmm. Nothing's more true of that than typography and like logo design, like, you know, because it's simplified down and it's like, you got to go away from it, look at it fresh. And then the other thing is, it's a volume business. I'm sorry to say that it's like, it is like a trade job and you can't put all of your eggs and be precious and think you have the one good idea. Mm -hmm. It really is like, start an idea, start multiple ideas, start different things in different forms. Like I have so many unpublished manuscripts and ideas. I have so many that have collected rejections and, Mm -hmm. and a few of them that I think are genuinely still really, really evergreen and good that I think, and it just takes like bear. It just takes finding that one advocate. That's right. One person to say yes. And you're off and running.
0: Yep. Um, so yeah, you know, we I, I again, it, it, same thing every single time I have a conversation with somebody, it's always like, oh shit, we have to end it. Damn it. <laughs> um <laughs> but we do. So um, you know, let's remember that there are definitely people listening who are writers, who are illustrators who want to try and get into some kind of you know, they want to unlock something within themselves so they can be simple and authentic and find like how they mar- make their marks naturally.
1: Smaller steps, smaller bites, like you may think that you want to write for something bigger than you're able to do. But however it comes out, get some objective opinions, show it to people. And if they like it for a thing that you didn't originally think or intend, but you automatically like you, you have to discover your voice that way, show it, (laughs) show it to people. And if they say, God, this really is good for this kind of a thing, then maybe you naturally have that kind of a thing. It's not Not that it's the only thing you'll ever do, Mm -hmm. but it's like, go with that, Like, right? That's kind of like proof of authenticity. If somebody says like, oh my God, this would be perfect for like middle grade age range, this kind of dialogue. And you're like, but I wanted it to be for a picture book. And it's like, well, maybe it's not right for a picture book. Try this other thing.
0: To learn more about Greg, visit gregfoley.co. Instead of my usual closing, I want to tell you that the Illustration Department's Spring Forward Sale is coming up. From March 11th through March 13th, all offerings led by me will be 20% off. That includes our popular mentorships, the Illustration and Picture Book Workshops, the Portfolio Review, and more. To take advantage of this rare sale, visit illustrationdepartment.com classes. That's illustration, D-E-P-T, dot com slash classes. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast and I hope to see you.